Welcome to the Big Hit Podcast, a collaboration between Scottish Fencing and the Fencing Podcast. I'm Gav, and in this episode, my guest is George Liston. George is Scottish Fencing's president, but more than that, George is one of the best epics the country has produced. He's been fencing longer than I've been alive, and this breadth of experience gives him an excellent view of the sport. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Now, here's George. So George, tell me, uh, where did this all begin? Sadly, I can remember exactly <laughs> when and how. Being at school, I played rugby, as most of the kids at the school did. One morning in assembly, there was a mention of the sort of, the sort of notices at the end. So oh, if anybody wants to uh, try this sport of fencing, go along to this wee meeting afterwards, which for some reason I did. I've still no idea why, really. And it pointed us towards a session that Bert Bracewell was running, yeah, then national coach. Uh, was running at Meadowbank Sports Centre trying to get kids from all the school schools across Edinburgh to come along on a Thursday afternoon. And I went, uh, I went, six of us from our school went. People listening will certainly remember Mike Pete as one of the others, Gary McDonald and Kenny Mitchell, who both went for a while, and a, and a couple of others who, who didn't, uh, classmates of mine. And uh, I sort of stuck at it. And then a couple of years in, I uh, fenced for Scotland School's foil B team at the school's quad at Meadowbank, and uh, nineteen that was seventy five. So then seventy six, I won my first competition, the Fife and Tayside Open, uh, a big one, a big one, absolutely. It's a point you need yeah. sixteen, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, held a, in Anstruther or Inster if you're from Fife, uh, run by Alan and Judith and Judith Kinnaird. And then a couple of weeks later, I won my second one, which was the uh, Scottish Junior Championships. And that was at uh, Craig Lockhart Sports Centre. I remember that. Wow. Mm. And uh, that's, that's not around anymore. I think it's actually gone. I should also say that you, you've, been, you've been fencing longer than I've been alive, George. Yes, well, that, that increasingly that seems to happen when I'm speaking to people. But that's only 40, uh, in fact, it's just, just past 47 years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, only a wee while. You mentioned that you did foil there. So were you only doing foil back in those days? Um, it, initially, uh, Elizabeth Wright, who uh, helped Bert at the sessions, um, we all started with foil. And then one day she said to me, you ought to try sabre because you keep hitting flat. So I tried that. And after a year or so of that, she said, I can still remember her her words. She said, you need to try Epi because there's nothing for you to argue with. Clearly, I've since gone on <laughs> to disprove that theory, but she mm. meant well. <laughs> so you, you won your first competition in 76, So, and you've been fencing for about sort of three years at that point, fully engaged with the sport. Is that from where the point where you, you feel you, your career sort of really started to take off? It, it was quite bizarre because I didn't really think about career. Yeah. You yeah, just sort of... Yeah turned up and people said, oh, it's a competition or here's your, your SAFU calendar. Um, oh, yeah. and, and you got to your checkbook and your stamped addressed envelopes out. Uh, f- for those younger listeners, there was not lots of information readily available online because there wasn't online. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's quite, quite, a, quite a shift when you, uh, when you think back to it and you just sort of got on, wrote a checks, found a bed and breakfast somewhere near where they were supposed to be competing, found out what trains went, when and where, yeah. and uh, and off you went. Uh, nobody was holding your hand. 
you turned up somewhere you'd never been before, wandering around a strange city with a fencing bag, found the hole, hit a few people and came back. Yeah, I mean, it was still a bit like that when I started back in the 90s. Uh, so it, it, what happened after that, that tournament in 76? What happened next? Um, well, it was really 76, 77 when I started travelling away from Scotland. Uh, I think 76, my first Highland Open. Uh, so that season, 76, 77, I started going to a couple of the Open things like the Ashton Open, but also the national age groups then started playing a part and the the British under-20s. I travelled to the British under-20s the first time I finished second. And then I got... um, I sorted that a couple of years later, but then I got uh, invited to fence in this international under-20 competition that used to be held in London and fence for the GBB team under-20. And that then... Two or three weeks later, I found myself in Tower Bishopsheim. It was probably a watershed moment because there were over 320 men's epiests in Tauber at this event. Mm. And mm. Uh, it was before there were Junior World Cups, but it effectively was a Junior World Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, basically, there were about 315 different styles and, and there was us. I'd never, I'd never before seen people flicking, pommeling, doing all your stuff that, of course, we all know so well now. Yeah. But it, yeah. it was, it was really an eye opener. I, I, uh, my, my referee or my president, as it was then, for the pool, was Alex Push, Montreal Olympic champion, world mm, champion. Yeah. Subsequently, in fact, I ended up. I was so nervous. I ended up screwing up my last fight and went out in the pools. But I spent. I spent, or the pool, <laughs> I spent the rest of the weekend wandering around with my jaw on the floor, just, just watching stuff. So do you think that, um, do you think that parochialism has kind of changed now? Do you think we've, now that we've got the internet, we can all watch a bit more fencing, do you think? Do you think everybody has a bit more access to it? I think we can see a lot more of it. You'll still get okay. a lot of people that try and do stuff that might be either totally inappropriate for them or for the opponent. But mm. but you do get people who have their eyes open to yeah. uh, completely different situations, different ways of doing things, different tactics. I, I'm sure, I mean, there's so much more available. You, you rarely even saw, saw a video of anybody mm. fencing. When you came back from Tauber, what did you actually bring back? Probably a couple of Russian blades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. It was just it was just a sort of almost mind opening or mind expanding experience. Mm. And then that was February seventy eight. A couple of months later, I fenced my first senior British Championships. Got the last eight. Also that spring, I fenced my first senior World Cup and my second one that summer. So, so it was just oh, right, every, everything right. sort of happened happened very quickly. So at what point? I mean, at this point, you're sort of you're now traveling and internationally you're you know you're, you're seeing a different kind of world of fencing that's out there how is that being reflected in your actual results i certainly rather more consistent results I, f- I find that there's not been a general progression i felt it's almost like you're flatlining then you hit a step you, you, do, you do all the work you do all the work mm, you do all the work definitely. you feel as though you're not getting anywhere and then suddenly mm-hmm. something happens you go oh hello <laughs> you know i've just i've just <laughs> yeah. got better and then i, I won the, the british under 18s the public schools, the British under 20, sort of one after, one after the other. And so, so something had obviously clicked by that stage. And, and like, how did you feel 
how did you feel at that point about the sort of the, the standard around about in, in British fencing at that point? Do you feel that we were still very kind of lagging behind the rest of the world in general, or is it just a case of, you know, us in Scotland in our own little niche, or what do you think? I think that at the time there were relatively few British junior or senior fencers who I think were really competitive. Um, in, in when you got to internationals, I mean, Robert and I just had obviously not long won the world youth. Um, mm-hmm. Then you you got uh, obviously Donnie came along, Fiona came along, started doing well. But mm-hmm. they were almost the exceptions. Billy Gosby, Justin Pittman got sort of last eights of the World Youth in their time. But going to all the junior and senior international events I went to, there were not that many British medalists I saw. Um, John Steventon, third at Tabby on that very first trip. But that, that was quite unusual. I didn't take that many myself, to be honest. I, I mm-hmm. The old mm-hmm. one here or there. Yeah. And, and not in World Cups. <laughs> it must have been strange, actually, looking at how things are now, looking back at how informal it must have felt then, if you were just kind of turning up, you win a tournament and somebody says, right, okay, you're shot on the international stage, off you go. And you're getting dropped into this sort of different world of, as you say, 315 different styles of fencing and it was much more competitive. Yes. I mean, it... Uh, are you are you comparing it with the sort of performance pathways and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that. I've got I've got mixed feelings about that mm-hmm. personally because throughout my time fencing, there was there was times where I had the time and not the money, and there's times when I had the money and not the time to do more. But actually, yeah. a lot of the time, I thought I could I couldn't do this full time. I'd get bored. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You know, the, I always had some sort of balance. It was never, it was never fencing as everything. I think sometimes, whilst that probably limited how well I did, in some ways, it probably also kept me a wee bit more, more balanced, perhaps. Discuss. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there is that thing that you know some athletes who pursue kind of Olympic glory and they become very fixated and single-minded about it can be a bit strange. Yeah, you know the sort of personality type that I'm talking about, where you meet them and you're, they're just very odd. <laughs> and and, and I, in some ways, I had the best of both worlds because when I joined the RAF, mm-hmm. I instantly ended up fencing for the RAF and for the combined services. And so mm-hmm. there was a different group of people as well, um, with with different different expectations, different things they were looking to you for. Or um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Lots, lots of variety. I mean, I, I've ended up in my time moving around with a job. I, I fenced about. I was trying to work through all the clubs I'd fenced in. I won't, I won't bore you with them all. But there's, there's, you know, obviously the ones around Edinburgh. Then when I joined the RAF, they were sort of scattered across the south of England. But I've also been a club member in in West Germany, in Italy, in France, mm. and in the US. So, and I fenced in the circuits everywhere except Italy, which they wouldn't allow you to unless you were resident for more than, I can forget, it was six months or a year. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So I've been exposed to different types of clubs, different types of coaching, but mm-hmm. even just the, the, the approach from fairly social clubs to, to, to clubs that had a wide spectrum of fences up to some really, really mm. sort of good ones. 
So do you think that the the fact that you because at this point this this must have happened shortly after uh, you started winning things, you've joined the RAF and you're traveling around now in the forces and you're being posted to different places. Do you think that contracted the amount of time you had to fencing, or or as you're saying you're saying that you had all this international experience and I think it contracted it in a way because. I didn't have the training opportunities uh, a lot of the mm-hmm. time, depending on where I was or the or the work patterns, you know. But but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. in fact, I look back at it now and think, as working shifts, hard, well, on my first two, for example, working shifts, hardly ever get into training, but still going off and doing reasonably well at competitions and fencing a senior yeah. world cups. It, yeah. it sounds a bit <laughs> sounds a bit bizarre. I, I did a stint when I was trying to fence and being on shifts I did a lot of night shifts in my 20s and to be honest it was not pleasant for me I'd never it never never worked for me at all my first ever what I regard as really good result was um I'd actually just been on holiday for a week right okay. flew back I, I was on holiday my parents were in Cyprus I'd flown out joined them joined them for a week flown back a couple of days later gone off to Mödling just outside Vienna for the European oh, Championships oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 obviously relaxed I was 11 yeah. from the day so. yeah and that's what that was like a last 16 so I mean well, it was a last 12 that, uh, actually oh, of course because it was it was, was repishage as well then. yeah 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 of course of course was that route B in repishage uh, I won or were you route A I won the first one so it's fine route A then okay the easy way easier way I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of people who might listen to this might not even know what repechage is because we don't really use it at all anymore. I don't even know if it's used very heavily internationally, very much maybe in Germany still, but but it's a hard one. So for those people, um, if you don't win your first one, you then get put into a second stream. If you lose that one, you're out. Or otherwise, you can essentially fence me back into the first stream again. Well, it's two yeah. strikes and you're out, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I one of my sort of seminal moments was making a last day at. Uh, I think it was the Bill Hoskins. And that was uh, Repechage. the first one. <laughs> Sorry? And they used Repechage there. Yeah, they did. And I, I had to fence something like 13 times because I kept losing and then going back in again to get to the last eight. And I only got lost by one point. It was, I was just so tired by that point. I just couldn't manage it anymore. But in fact, that's one thing. Um, funny you mention that because one thing I have noticed from even when I first started fencing in Senior World Cups, I remember going out by one hit fewer received or one hit more received whatever it was in the manal mm. in the fourth round of pools mm-hmm. on the saturday night yeah. domestically and internationally you were used to fencing through a number of rounds before yeah. you got the de and then fencing the de yeah. yeah the number of people especially as as years have passed by we go to <laughs> go to the um go to one round and a de the number of younger fencers who seem to be knackered has never failed to astound me. You think you've only fenced half a dozen pool fights and a couple of DE fights. And that, that, mm. that is something that I feel young fencers pro- are probably lost by having all the, or many, most of the events go to just one round of pools. Um, mm. not only do you not get as much fencing, but actually you don't get used to fencing that many fights in one day so your fitness is lower. You don't get used to fencing, mm. having to win and think when you're tired and adapt. It's a much riskier environment because all your eggs are now in one basket. And you you have to make sure it works. You know, in repechage, you're cushioned because there's always that second opportunity. But we, we did lots of lots of pool fencing. That was kind of a similar idea where there was always oh, an opportunity now to pull things back. But you don't have that anymore because you're straight to the straight to the direct elimination and straight out. And I think that's 
that I that, that point that you're making about physical fitness is something that I, I do think a lot of junior fencers are missing. They're missing that as, as like the trick, if you know what I mean. It's not everything, but if you can yeah. perform, if you can perform that little bit longer, that keep that 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 physica- physicality up, you still have the you'll have that means you have the mental space to actually win. If you if you're constantly playing catch up with your body, you can't do that. Yeah, and men- mentally as well, just getting used to fencing longer days and fencing more yeah. often and adapting more quickly and adjusting when you're tired and that sort of thing. Because you were doing it, you were having to do it virtually every competition. I I think you know you, you just got used to it. Whereas the, the number of times now it quite surprises me. You go and fence in a club. If you've got a decent amount of time, I mean, I would just go turn up when when I started and just keep fencing as long as there was somebody to hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Number of people that turn up, fence once or twice, and then go away just completely astounds me. And or oh, I fenced you already. Ah, it's weird, isn't it? It's is odd. I've noticed this myself, and it's very strange. Or yeah, you're that good. Well, challenge yourself. I used to do that. There was always there was always a chat in the club that you didn't really want to fence. But mm-hmm. you just set yourself little targets, right? Yeah, exactly. Limit yourself. I beat him ten seven last time. I'm going to be. He's good. He's not going to get five this time, and or I'm going to try and hit him yeah. in this sort of timing, or yeah, exactly. Also, all sorts of games you can play. So if we just go back to the Europeans. So that last sixteen at the at the Europeans is that your best ever result? It was for a very long time. Okay. If I think my my first. Senior World Cup, I fenced in 1978. My last one, actually, I fenced in 2006, but there you go. Um, the, <laughs> I think it was 83 where I just missed out in the Manal, uh, mm-hmm. getting to the 32. One, one, one too many hit received. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could tell you virtually hit by hit of that fight because it's scarred, seared in my memory. Oh, really? I won't do that. And I ended up thinking, you know, I had a few 64s and things. I thought, for oh, God's sake, am I never ever going to get any further than this? Mm-hmm. And then London, sort of squiggle, you know, competition formerly known as a martini. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. In 95, I'd been, I'd been training really, really, really well, just, just hitting everybody and uh, mm-hmm. felt great. Turned up at the venue, got a decent pool, managed to lose about three fights on the last hit, won a couple, oh scraped through two above the cut into the 128. I then fenced a Canadian. I can't even remember which Canadian it was. He must just have missed going straight through. Can't even remember. Mm. I just, I, he, he wasn't the other end of the piece for very long, to be fair. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I fenced a, a really... Really tough opponent, uh, Mikhail Tishko. Uh, used to be in the Soviet team, was now in the, then the Ukrainian team. I was doing my usual things, sort of long developed attacks, and he was hitting me. And I remember Steve Paul calling, George, no more long attacks. But of course, I knew better, didn't I? So I saw this opening, mm. went for it, got hit again, but tweaked my hamstring. And I thought, no, there will be no more long attacks. Completely changed <laughs> what I was doing and took my part. He got a double after that, and that was it. And I thought, Ooh. oh, okay. A 64, but I must have been mm-hmm. about bottom of the part. I think I was probably 64th seed. And I then met Dan Novoselsky from Canada, who was at the time, I think, the world number seven or something. Okay. And uh, 14-0, mm. he drew this attack. I thought, okay, <laughs> but I'm not going that way. <laughs> I'm going to hit you in the centre of the chest okay. instead. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, boof, I, I was in a 32, and then I won that. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was sort of, oh, and I, I made, I made a serious mistake. And it's something for if any fencer takes on board. Because I, I was getting so excited. Jemek had said, oh, I'll come along if you make it to the Sunday. <laughs> you know, he was expecting the Sunday off. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, gave me a decent lesson before the 64, and I won that. And he, decent lesson before the 32, and I won that. And I, I was thinking, oh, I'm a bit, my arm's a bit tired. But I thought, oh, this is working. And I didn't say, actually, no, either let's not do it or let's keep it really minimal. Had another mm-hmm. decent lesson was 7-3 up against Arndt Schmidt and ran out of steam. Oh, <laughs> right. And uh, so that, yeah, that was my best, ended up my best ever result. But yeah. even then it was, yeah, I've been fancy for that long. I should probably have, <laughs> I should probably have known. Yeah, yeah. Lessons, yeah. listen, even when you're getting excited, don't get carried away, listen to your body. I mean, I, I had a similar experience once. I can't remember what tournament it was. Oh my God. It's down south somewhere anyway, and I, I tweaked my calf. And I thought, oh, this is this is nothing. I'll, I'll just walk it off. And I won my next D. Um, I was in a 32. I got um, Mark Burkhalter. I said, oh, Mark, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm really not feeling this today. I'm, I'm in a bit of pain. He was just like, okay, fair enough. Uh, and then I absolutely took him to pieces. And uh, so I was in a last 16, but I'd actually torn my calf really badly. So by the, by the time I got to the last 16, I was like, Oh, what's wrong with my leg? I can't actually, turn, I can't actually move now. Uh, and I remember I just got wiped out. The next one was like fifteen one or something like that. And I remember I was remember uh, I got a lift home from Patsy, uh, and uh, I had to be poured out of the car at the other end because my leg was locked in one place now because my my leg was so badly damaged. So, uh, yeah, I think we've all made that mistake where we've just pushed on a little bit too far. Maybe we should have thrown in the towel a little bit earlier, or or just eased up a bit. Yeah, lessons learned. But, uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned, mentioned Patsy there. I mean, thinking back to people that have had a, a, big, a big influence on your fencing, but probably Bert had put at the top of the list. I mean, not only mm-hmm. was he there at the start, but he was, he was always there giving lessons, mm-hmm. encouraging in a sort of it's-only-pain sort of way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, he he was he was always positive, sarcastic as anything. But he was he was always positive and supportive. And you know, he'd go out mm-hmm. go out his way if he got somewhere. When he had twenty minutes, he'd give you a lesson and help you get on. So uh, I think there's a, a lot of people in Scotland who are very very grateful to the time time he put in the sport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, even I work coached me at one point, so it's kind of you know I think Bert's still around. So that I think Bert's a, a universal influence at the moment. Yeah. And the, the other really big one for me as a coach was Jamek. Because mm-hmm. I actually, when I, got, when I got posted to the MOD mm-hmm. and I'd said to Steve Paul, can I get lessons? He was saying, oh, I'm sort of cutting down lessons. Uh, why don't you ask Jamek? And I was thinking, Jamek, I believe what, coach? Um, and I then ended up going and getting... Brilliant lessons, such an enthusiastic coach. Mm-hmm. And I think he actually welcomed the fact there was a wee break from all the four lessons he was doing. So it was something a bit different for him. He used to coach Steve at Epi. Um, yeah. And he would really build a lesson. And, and for me, it must be I'm just quite slow at learning, but one-hour lessons are great because you can spend the first 
five or even ten minutes just doing some fairly basic routines and getting yourself moving, get yourself warm, getting your hand and brain shrinking and and then you can start introducing some new stuff, some stroke selection. You can do all that, build up, build up, build up a good physical bit, physical and demanding technical bit near the end, and then gradually mm-hmm. slow down, stretch, stretch, long penetrate. I mean, yeah, you're a coach. I've never coached. Uh, I've yeah. never really had the desire to coach, but it just, for me, that just works. And people, if people really want to develop and all they're getting is a sort of, 15 minute 20 minute lesson at a club once a week they're not going to do that because because i'd be getting at least two sometimes three or more of those lessons a week plus two or three mm. club nights you know i'd go from an hour lesson with jemek to three hours at Haverstone. um yeah. yeah and and fencing all of that time i agree george i i think this is one of the my current frustrations is the lack of time on task i mean we can i mean i'll talk about me for a minute but I give little short little lessons of about half an hour to as many, you know to to my guys. Um, I do this as often as I can during the week, but it's not enough. It really isn't enough. I mean, if we had more time, we would do a lot more stuff. But time on task, I think, is something that's quite limiting. And I think that's a really that's a really great observation. This idea that if you had an hour, you've you've got an hour, you could do the basics, you can work through it, and you can really build something out of that. So you're just talking about Jimek. So he's he's obviously one of your sort of uh, big mentors as time went on. Jimek made a. In fact, it was uh, a season where I, I basically just about qualified for the World Championships quite early in the season. It was for the 94 World Championships. And Jemek one day just said to me, because I used to fence, you probably remember, the horrible sort of locked shoulder and almost about three quarters extended mm. arm. Yeah, yeah. And Jemek part way through a lesson one day said, I wouldn't normally do this during a season, but why don't you try? <laughs> you know? Bending okay. your arm, relaxing your shoulder, and oh, crikey, my fingers work. I can now hit small things and, you know, get extension and all that. And that, mm-hmm. that really gave me, uh, oh, I think probably the, that season, the next season were the two, the two best seasons of fence, but it also gave me a platform for all the years I've enjoyed. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you'd like to mention? You mentioned Patsy, for example. Patsy, I didn't have many lessons from her. She was the coach in Belfast. I do remember having this lesson with Patsy in Belfast in this, what was normally the cattle market. And in fact, mm. when we arrived, they were still laying temporary flooring over the rough concrete floor with puddles of cattle wee in it. It was a Commonwealth in, in oh, hang on, 2006. And uh-huh. uh, Patsy going, and then do this, and then flesh. I went, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> sure? Yes, uh, I've I've never had an opponent that started to to run away backwards as quickly as, as she did. But anyway, no, no, Pat, <laughs> Patsy was great. But the number of fencers she's fed, she's ferried up and down the country over the decades is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I used to train a lot with Jamie Hudson, that was basically a Patsy a Patsy developed fencer, and yeah. we'd go off to competition and stuff together. And the miles she put in and the time she put in is. I think we've all done time in the Patsy wagon in Scotland. <laughs> Certainly feels that way. Give me your, your your top fencing anecdote, the one that you love to talk about the most. Probably two of my earlier ones. There was one, my first British under twenties, and it was a mm-hmm. yeah first time travelling away. I don't think there might have been somebody else there I knew, but you know you were just in this De Beaumont Centre at uh, mm-hmm. in London. I just fenced this guy. 
beaten him quite comfortably, mm -hmm. come off the piste, and somebody was watching said, you just bit, you just demolished him, yeah. Do you know who he is? I went, no, but he's not very good, is he? And it, <laughs> it's, it sounds, it sounds almost arrogant now, but it wasn't. It was just, oh, no, don't. And it, uh, actually, that leads to an observation you might find interesting, which is people, uh, a, a lot of people find it very difficult to perform when they haven't got their middle support team around them, whether it's the mm -hmm. traveling, the coach, whether parents, whether clubmates, whatever. I found I think I was quite fortunate in that actually a lot of the time I was by myself where there were just two or three fencers so that actually you'd appreciate supporters coaches and stuff when they were there but yeah they weren't a crutch you didn't you didn't rely on them definitely and I think that that's one thing that I suspect has changed quite a bit okay so let, let's sort of move on to the future George obviously you, you've retired as a fencer now is that right or are you still doing uh, veterans fencing or i i had a um i i had a moment when i was uh still based in belgium so fencing in france mm -hmm. and done a couple of bits of vet stuff um uh -huh. and then then i had <laughs> uh then i i was leaving the senior winton cup uh about three years ago after two days fencing, yeah, reasonable fencing, wasn't setting the world on mm -hmm. fire, but I was, I was doing all right. And I had these pains in my leg and I thought, that's strange. And they didn't go away for a bit. And I'd been at a physio for something, but I hadn't been doing the exercises, so I didn't want to go straight back to it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. After two or three weeks, I thought, there's something not right here. So I went back to the physio. She sort of laid me down on the couch, manipulated my legs around and went, I think you need to have your hips x-rayed. And I went, oh, what yeah. is that? <laughs> so the hip replacement is um what was it january 18 second of january 18 uh, two year, two years ago mm -hmm. so much better than the old one yeah. uh, but yeah. but that that did sort of put a bit of a a gap in my training um fencing at the moment i go to laszlo's mm -hmm. uh, the sessions are a bit short and they're only only two nights a week and I'm not able to get lessons because Laszlo is okay. really not giving lessons apart from university ones during the day anymore. Mm -hmm. Beth is not an epi coach. And she, right. So, okay. you know, it's there's a bit of hitting people, but there's not much else. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. whether I do more, mm, if thing is, the sad thing or the good thing is, if I'm going to do more, I don't just want to be a participant. <laughs> I want yeah, to actually yeah. satisfy myself that I'm competitive because the um this the home nations vets match just at, well three months after I'd had my hip replaced and Hugh had said to me oh, I really want you in the the vets team I said look mm -hmm. I haven't touched because he saw me in about the February walking into Sports Scotland for a, a board meeting and he said really want you the vets team and I think. But I've not touched an epi since you know November. Oh, he said, I still rather have you, which was very nice. But I went and I was really unhappy with the way I performed. Yeah, and that becomes a down. It can become a downward spiral. That frustration because I, uh, I do, I do, I do know where you're coming from there. So at the moment, it's just club fencing for you, that, and that's. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd been asked to again fence the home nations vets, um, and I said I would, and clearly the current situation means it's not. It's not happening. It's been cancelled this year, so that will give me time either to decide I'm just a club, just a club fencer, or I can perhaps prepare a bit better. But hey, you know, 
who knew there were other things to do at weekends. <laughs> well, well stamp collecting. <laughs> uh, so, George, tell me what it's like fencing in the services. Uh, it can be quite. It can be quite challenging. Again, because of geographical dispersion, because of disruptive mm-hmm. work patterns, people going off to strange sandy places or jumping boats to sail around the world for months at a time. Or, um, but it can also be quite good for exposing the sport to novices. And there's quite a yeah. lot of people who have actually entered the sport in that way and and stayed in the sport along that route. Um, mm-hmm. It is... It's quite different. It's quite a small group of people, but actually, in my time in the RAF, the number of fencers shrank not at a rate proportional to the shrinkage in the size of the services. So we're retaining slightly more fencers than you'd have expected to, and we're growing okay. a few as well. And uh, oh, that's interesting. Of course, James Williams would be top of top of the list in service grown. True. Yeah. He he was a young sapper at Osnabrück two five engineer regiment when I was in West Germany as well, just down the road. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting one day watching. I think it was highlights. We're at the inter services watching highlights from the Seoul Olympics. And James Williams went, "That's going to be me in four years' time." And I thought, "That's." I was thinking, "That's excellent enthusiasm." The poor chap doesn't really understand. Uh, four yeah. years' time, <laughs> he was there, and eight, and twelve years' time, so. Yeah, that's very true, actually. <laughs> so, so when you think about that and think about introducing youngsters into the sport, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. what can actually happen? Um, that that was that was really really good. Yeah, there's a lot of camar- camaraderie. I fenced in thirty one consecutive inter service matches. Uh, okay, <laughs> and combined services, we got to fence in a couple of competitions overseas, and mm-hmm. again, it's. Uh, it's a different environment, but generally it's it's quite well interwoven with the uh, with a sort of domestic uh, scene, perhaps more mm-hmm. so in other countries than it is here. Culturally, is a different a different aspect to the sport in the services. You know, you've got your different ranks, you've got different people could be doing different things within the sport. Do you, does any of that impinge on fencing? If you're in the army, it certainly did. The army, in my view, remained terribly rank conscious, even you know, even through sport oh, and right. stuff. Whereas okay. the other two services, it, whilst it's understood and it's respected, it's it's you know mm-hmm. in, in the background a lot of the time. Um, so that that's one aspect I certainly noticed. Uh, another one is that actually people are people are used to getting on and making the most of things because mm-hmm. they get stuck in strange environments. So if somebody gets posted into a new unit, and I've, I've seen a chap posted into a unit army unit was nobody fencing there went right i'm getting a number of the lads together youngsters come and try <laughs> and uh, they end up with an inter-unit team six months later of people who never heard of the sport okay which okay. which shows it shows what can be done mm, it's interesting and do you think there's any of that that can do spirit you think you we could bring out into the sport in general yes definitely mm-hmm. i think if if you've got people who are who are used to starting with very little and, and building it up again if you had a if you had a coach or a group of fencers in the area and there's not a coach they, mm-hmm. they sit probably tend to sit there and complain oh there's not a club near us your service mm-hmm. fencers would probably have started one that that's Excellent. that's perhaps um 
oversimplifying it, but it's that sort of difference in approach. That was brilliant. Thanks, George.